tells us that if you're not happy, you can just change your job and your relationship, start a hobby, have a baby, get a puppy or five. We are constantly facing change in the pursuit of happiness. And yet, deep down, we resist it so much because nobody teaches us how to navigate transitions. I am here to change that. Join me and my guests every week to find the inspiration and actionable steps to dive into your next great chapter. Let's write it together. Welcome, I'm Olga Nadal and you are listening to your next great chapter, the podcast to master life transitions with ease and courage. And today's show is sponsored by Divorce for Love. For those of you new to the show, I am the founder of Divorce for Love, where I educate, inspire and coach those going through possibly one of the most challenging transitions you may face in your life. If you are thinking about divorce or have started the process and are feeling lost, go and watch the masterclass I made for you on the five secrets you must know about divorce. These five secrets can save you a ton of money and sleepless nights. The link is in the notes, so head over there right after today's show. Hello, everybody. This week, I have a very special woman. Her name is Ashley Wellman, and she wears many hats. She's a criminologist. She's also an author, and she's also a speaker. And she has a transformation story that happened to her when she was in her early 30s, and she had just moved to Texas from Florida. She was about to start her new job, and then something rather tragic happened. And she's going to tell us the lessons she learned, how she went through that episode of her life. So Ashley, welcome and so happy to have you here. Oh, Olga, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Tell us your story. I know that it's a sad one, but you've managed to find all the lessons, all the wisdom. Okay, absolutely. I'm going to go back several years to get everybody kind of acclimated with what was happening in my life. In 2010, I was just finishing my PhD at the University of Florida. I was getting a doctorate degree in criminology, law, and society. And I had really found my passion, which was providing and supporting and telling the stories of unsolved homicide survivors. I had been able to work in a cold case unit and been fortunate enough to have a mother share her story with me early in my career. And that set me on this path to say, I don't know trauma, the depths of trauma. So I can use my platform to bring awareness and to bring support to families who have suffered the unthinkable. So what's ironic is that the passion and the gut of my career focused on the fact that I really had been naive and protected from the trauma that I was studying. So here I am, Dr. Ashley Wellman, right? I graduate with my PhD. And as I'm graduating, I marry the most precious human in the entire world, Buddy Wellman. And he just was one of those people that just easygoing, super quiet until he had the exact perfect thing to say. And then he'd have the room laughing. You know what I mean? He would tease that he outkicked his coverage and that he just got to support you know, this awesome girl. So I was very, very blessed. And he was willing to travel around the country to different positions where I was a professor. So we were in Charleston and then we were in Missouri. In Missouri, I had my beautiful daughter who's now six. Her name is Reagan. And she ends up being one of the main reasons, like you said, we all go through transformations. That baby is one of the most beautiful parts of my life and reasons that I can always take a dark moment and make it bright because of her. But in 2014, I gave birth to her. In 2016, as I'm at the peak of my career and doing really well, I got tenured as a professor. We suffered four back-to-back miscarriages while we were at in Missouri. And Buddy was so great with all of that. But as a woman, it's very hard. You struggle with the loss of a child. I don't care how far along you are. 
But the moment you see that positive sign, you were a mom again. And I had dreams and ideas. And so Buddy was phenomenal. He always would have the right thing to say. And he said, maybe you need a change of pace. We need to start over, get a fresh start. And so we packed our family up and I sacrificed a lot of growth in my career to move to Texas, like you were telling everybody. And when I got to Texas, I was stepping down into a entry level position as a, still as a scholar and as a professor, but it didn't matter because I was doing it for my family. And I had really come to this place that said my happiness and my health is what is critical right now in our life. And I was really struggling to find myself again. And so I entered with this just joy and excitement and optimism of starting over. And the day before I start my new job, I heard glass shatter downstairs. I call out to Buddy and Reagan who were downstairs in our new little condo. And I'm like, what broke? I thought that something had broken. And I, of course, thought it was Reagan. As a mother, I definitely thought it was my daughter had broken something, but no one answered. So I ran downstairs and Buddy had apps in the hallway. He was seizing, he couldn't breathe. And meanwhile, my four-year-old at the time, Reagan was four, comes around the corner and she sees her dad dying is what was happening. He, unknown to us, unbeknownst to us, he had a pulmonary embolism and he would lose his heartbeat in the house with the paramedics working on him. But he'd hang on for 60 more minutes. They, they revitalized him four different times, got his heart back four different times. And at 4.30 on August 12th, 2018, they pronounced Buddy dead. So here I am, right? I'm starting in a new place. I have already been struggling with who I am really as a mother, right? Because I was in an unhealthy place with that definition. Now I've added widow to the list and I'm experiencing not the same type because I don't think anyone walks the same grief journey, but I was immediately thrust into this world that I had been so tightly protected from, right? This sudden violent trauma that is in front of us, right? And so the worst part, Olga, was that now I also had to not only just be a grieving widow, I had to go back and help my daughter grieve the death of her best friend. That's a very dark night of the soul for you, your beautiful daughter in a new space. I don't know yeah. if you had family nearby. We did not. So we were by ourselves. I had a couple of colleagues that at the time were there, but it's very difficult because if you're experiencing grief, there's this, you're just lost. And so you struggle to, especially with new people, you want to be perfect, but you're not in a space to be perfect and all of these different things. And so for me, I'm grateful because friends from around the country flocked to us almost to a point where I had to like stop visiting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm glad they didn't because we always had someone there. You know, I would tease people that they were my sister wives. I was having just constant people in my home. And that was a blessing because in the darkness and in those moments of silence, at first I was really struggling to get rid of the images of him dying in front of us and hearing my daughter's screams and hearing my screams. And so I was grateful because while I was paralyzed in what I was supposed to be doing, I had no concept of what to do other than get up and brush her teeth and maybe eat once in a while. But I did think back and I'm like, listen, Ashley, you have for 12 years talked to grieving families about what they're supposed to do in the midst of trauma. So I hope that was some good advice because if that was not advice, 
I don't know what else to do. And so I started going down that list of recommendations that I had given to so many families and saying, I'm going to trust in the process of fighting. And it is a daily fight to get through this and not just get through it, but I want to live. Like I knew in my head, I want a great life. It's just, it didn't feel possible those first couple months. So one of the things that I know I really would emphasize with my families is that grief does not happen in a singular cylinder, right? And you can't grieve just as an individual human. You have to then also grieve as a family. And so for me, we like to think that children don't understand grief or they don't get it. They very much get it. They just get it in a very different manner. And so I made sure one of my priorities was that Reagan and I would grieve individually and as a family, right? That I would let her into some of my grief and I would let her see me on good days and bad days. I'd let her see me mad and sad and confused and also happy, right? Because there's this weird reality of, am I allowed to be happy now? And then I would also be able to create in her this ability to know that I'm safe if she's angry or mad or sad. And so we were so blessed because here in Fort Worth, we have an amazing organization called The Warm Place. And it is a home for children. It's a grief home for children where you go at night as a family and they support children who have lost somebody in their family. And it helps these children craft their story from age three on they serve these kids. And so Reagan was four at the time. She learned to articulate not only the pain she felt, but the love and the legacy that she had with her dad. And at the same time, I was able to get professional help, right? I went to therapy, EMDR therapy. I was getting support from the warm place. And so that professional help and then being able to take it home and actually live the transparent grief, right? And allow her to see that was really important. And then I used to tell, or I still do, I tell families that one of the problems we have is when we try to recreate and fit back into a world that doesn't exist anymore, it causes significant pain. So when Buddy died, I wanted so badly for everything to be the same. In fact, one a side note, my career really felt like it was all I had left. I'm starting this brand new place. There had been a promise for me to grow in this career. And I thought that's going to be what saves me because you can take away everything else about me, but you cannot take away Dr. Ashley Wellman's scholar on this path to success because I've built the path before. I'm going to build it again. So I was fighting to really show up and be present at work. And this job came open that I had been promised and that I relocated my family for. And I said, Oh my God, this is heavenly intervention, right? This position I move for is up. I'm going to go for it. Well, the very, very small group of my colleagues, because most of them are phenomenal, a very small group of my colleagues made a decision that I was, quote, no longer the woman they fell in love with, and they were going to block me from getting that position, which ultimately shut down kind of my longevity and ability to thrive here, right? I can survive here, but to thrive here. And so as I'm fighting for physical and mental health of the grief part of me, I'm also fighting to maintain this normalcy and this legacy in my career. And without my control, it's taken away from me again. So this is like the third major thing in my life that is just ripped from me, motherhood, wife, and now my career is missing. So 
I had gone on such an upward path with my grief. And when the career moment happened about a year later, I felt like I stepped even further back in the grief process than I had the moment he passed away. And I really just felt stripped raw of who I was. And I remember what kept coming out of my mouth was if I'm not that, then who am I? If I'm not that, then who am I? And why am I not worthy enough? What else could I have done, right? I feel like my life is just, it's not gonna go anywhere. And then I said, Ashley, you told people that life doesn't exist anymore. You are trying to fight for recreation of a life you used to have and it's just not there. So what if you did exactly what you told and tell other people? What if you allowed yourself the permission to say, what do you want? What do you want? You're not gonna get what you really want. <laughs> You're not gonna get, okay? So, so it took a friend saying, you're right. What they did is hurtful, it's wrong. You are correct. Your career as you know it has halted. You're not gonna get the life you wanted back. So what do you want now? What if you could be anything, do anything, what do you want? And then are you brave enough to really do that? And that was probably the hardest conversation I've ever had because I think it's easier in some ways for us to think we're not worthy or capable of things. Cause then you can't fail. If you stay in the safe lane, if you stay in the secure lane, or if you even step back and go, oh, well, I'm worthless anyway. So what does it matter? That's a safe space, right? It's the comfortable uncomfortable is what I like to call it. So I sat back and I said, well, you know what? The entire time I've been grieving, creative writing has really been what saved me. And that's another thing, right? Find a passion, a new passion, a new tradition that you're able to work into your life when the old you doesn't feel like it's there anymore. What's something new you can add to add color to your life? And for me, it was the creative arts and the performing arts and really writing. And so I said, well, you know what? What if that wasn't a way to survive? What if that became a way to thrive as not just Dr. Ashley Wellman? Because that's always what I'm gonna be. Every chapter we've accomplished and conquered, we always get to have that as part of our story. And I think that's the thing we forget. We forget that there are beautiful things that come in our life and they leave. And there's great things that end bad, but that doesn't take away that there's still these amazing parts of your story. And they taught you so many things, even the bad things, right? Teach you so many things. So now what's the next chapter going to be? And are you brave enough to write it? And for me, I said, you know what? I'm not going to let a few people dictate my worth, my value, and who I am. Because at the end of the day, I've got to be my best champion and fight for the same magic and the same experiences I want for my daughter. I need to fight for myself too. And so I went down and I opened up a small business, Ray of Sunshine, after my daughter. And I said, I'm going to take the children's book that I've been writing, The Girl Who Dances with Skeletons, My Friend Fresno, based on my daughter and her best friend who's a posable skeleton. I said, I'm gonna take that story and I'm gonna make it not a way to heal, but a way to thrive. And I'm gonna publish it myself. I'm gonna distribute it myself. I'm going to build a curriculum for little ones around it about diversity and inclusion and self-acceptance and friendship. And I'm gonna use this as a vehicle to do everything that I have been doing, advocacy, teaching, living my passion, because my passion really is being in the classroom and helping. So I said, I'm going to use that, but I'm going to do it in a way that I'm writing. I'm dictating it. And somehow that's given me control back in my life when I felt like I had nothing else that I could control. 
And so here I am, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking the really ugly cards that have been dealt to me and remembering that when that ugly part happened, it actually symbolized, right, the end of something very beautiful. And so I can't be scared to try another new chapter because I know there's beauty in new chapters. And don't be scared if it ends bad because I wouldn't give back Buddy for the world. I would have done it a million times again. I am grateful for every moment I've been in a classroom. I've written a research article. I've held a mother's hand while she cries. Those are transformative moments. But when they end or they slow down or they transition, right, what permission and how brave are you going to be to chase something new? Which is so fascinating because we are not taught the art of letting go, the art of closing chapters. I always say, how do you want to read the next chapter if you keep going back on the pages and go like, maybe I missed something, maybe I need to go back. One of the things that I do in my coaching business is I help people transition from marriage to divorce. Mm -hmm. And then I say, and there'll be another chapter, don't worry. But the grief that we all find when something is ending we perpetuate it by staying in that space. It's almost that sentence when you're going through hell, just keep walking. And in your case, you had to deal with a tremendous amount of grief that came from the exterior, but you were able to, even in the pain, the discomfort, the sadness, to keep moving forward and literally put pen to paper and write your next chapter, write your book. I love what you said about finding a creative outlet that's something that, again, we're not taught. We are taught to process a lot of our emotions. And you also mentioned you found help, which I think it's essential. I tell everybody, when you're going through a traumatic experience, you need professional help. We would not dream of operating ourselves if we needed freaking heart surgery. And here no. it comes. We have emotional issues. And we're like, I'm just going to Google this. I'm going to read one self-help book. I'm going to talk to some girlfriends with margaritas, and I'll be good. No. Find help. Find a creative outlet. Be surrounded by a community. I love that you had that cocoon around you to the point where you were like, okay, peeps, I'm good. <laughs> you can take it from here. <laughs> they get called. My poor cocoon gets called on all the time. And what's so cool is the moment that it's more smiles than tears because they've been with me. We're, we're a little past two years. And now they're starting to see because I've given myself permission to face something that's really scary, right? Now I actually get that cocoon to celebrate with me and say, oh my gosh, right? But they were there with margaritas sometimes, but they were there to make sure that I was, and I think that's one of the most important things. Grief is scary and it's uncomfortable, not only for the person living it, but for the people around them. And so to hope that people practice grace and compassion because there are many mistakes I've made. There are many steps I made that I wish I hadn't made. You know, there are nights that I grieved one way and I wish I had grieved a different way or said something that I wish I hadn't said. But the reality is, is that it is just a battle. It's a daily battle and grind. And some days you're really proud of yourself. And other days you might say, I wish I had done something different, but I didn't. So you've got to rectify the fact that it's just a kind of a bumpy, wild ride that you didn't ask to be a part of. And as a friend and caregiver, right, someone who's helping with that, trying to have the grace and understanding that one, if you ask to help, you got to mean it and show up even on the ugly days. And two, just to have that grace and understanding that you would pray someone had with your own child or with yourself, that sometimes it just comes out ugly and that's okay because there will be a day that those margaritas are shared over laughter. <laughs> and not tears. 
Now that you've been on both ends of the spectrum of helping people with trauma and going through your very own trauma, is there some advice that you have for those, like I'm looking at it from the outside and going, if I want to help somebody who is going through major grief, you just say, be available. If you say that you're going to be there, be there. Is there any no-nos that you are like, please people don't do that to people who are suffering too? Yeah, a big no-no, which I have been guilty of myself until I literally took a PhD and living it to get over some of these things, but trying to explain away the pain. Don't, you don't have to do that for people, right? Letting them mourn and be sad. And it might not be in the timeline you want, but for so many people, I think we've been conditioned to say, oh, okay, the default is they're in a better place or it was God's plan or don't worry, you can love again, right? No, no, right this second, I want it, you to say, this is unfair, this is tragic, this hurts, I'm here. And that's it, right? And just to listen to me and let me be. So I had a great friend, she's actually a mother that started as a survivor that I supported and now is a very dear friend with me. She called the other night and she was mourning a loss of a career moment that was very much tied to her son's death. And she said, Ashley, what am I supposed to do? Business, business, business. And I said, you know what you're supposed to do right now? Tonight, you're just supposed to say, this sucks. I'm angry. And you're supposed to cry. And if you want to break something, do that. And go take a bath and just be in the suck <laughs> right now. Because I think we want to bury the bad so quickly and expect that to take care of the problem. And it doesn't. Sometimes you just have to feel in process. And so by saying things like, oh, well, your husband's in a better place. I don't know that there's a better place than by his daughter's side and by his wife's side. So I'm a Christian woman. I do know he's in heaven, but I will come to that conclusion and find peace with my faith later. The first thing is that this sucks <laughs> and I don't like that he's not with me. And I'm real angry at God right now because he took him from me. So that isn't peaceful. It's actually upsetting or saying like with a miscarriage, oh, but you can try again or a divorce. Just try again. That's okay. You're hot. Someone will love you. Right. I don't want that. I want to know that I lost a baby. They were valid. They were important. I want people to recognize that I'm hurting because I had an expectation of love that didn't happen. All of these different things. And so one embrace the moment of stink, right? Just let them wallow in it for a little bit. And then be there to encourage them and support them when their dreams sound crazy, when their new plans might not be exactly what you would have written for them. Try to be super supportive of this new chapter because I think we also want to help people fit back into the norm, get you back to normal. There is no normal anymore. And so I've had many people that are saying, Ashley, your job is so stable. And if you pursue this new journey as an author, is it guaranteed? Do you have any guarantees? I said, no, but I could have died on August 12th, 2018. And it wasn't me. And so look at COVID. That's showed us that nothing is stable. And so, and there's been some great marriages that I've watched on Facebook, the most precious couples. Dear God, I remember when Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson got divorced and I thought the world was ending because if they can make it, right, <laughs> this precious couple, who can? So there's all these things in our lives that you think, what does stable mean? And does that always mean happiness? And I think this is not just for grief alone, but we've just been conditioned to stay safe, stay stable, do things for a paycheck. We've never been taught your happiness and health are the priority. 
I remember when Buddy died and I had to pay out of pocket for EMDR therapy, which was a, a saving grace for me. But it was expensive. And I remember saying, I can't afford this right now. I'm a widow. I can't even cover rent right now on my own, you know, just one paycheck. I don't know where our bank account is. Like, I cannot cover this. And then I sat back and I said, Ashley, if you don't, you're going to not make it. Like, this is too heavy to do by yourself. So even more important than the roof over our head, because I could get creative. Even more so than that, if you are not healthy, you will not make it. And so I had to do the same thing when the career loss happened, right? When this dream of the career loss or the career expectation dropped in my lap. I was crying all the time. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't taking care of myself. And Reagan was watching me and seeing how is my mother going to treat herself and how is she going to define her value and reclaim who she is. And I was stinking at it. <laughs> so I really had to say, guess what? Guess it's time to go back to therapy and how I can let go of some of these almost OCD-like patterns we get in in our head that say, well, maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not worthy enough. Maybe you were too fat. Maybe you're not smart enough. And you do these horrible self-messages, self-talk messages to yourself. So I just had to go get help again. I think it's breaking down the walls of stigma and expectation and silencing all of that and saying, if you were talking to your best friend or your child, what would you encourage them to do? How would you inspire them to dream? What risk would you be so proud of them for taking? And then why don't you treat yourself that way? Yeah, I have a question for you about Reagan because you said it's gotta be very different how we adults handle our grief and how children do. And I, being a mother myself, I'm fascinated by how much they teach me. Once I sit and shut up and let them teach me, they are my gurus. And when it comes to these emotions that, again, we haven't been told how we should work with them, I wonder if Regan taught you things about grief that not even your therapist, your own previous experience, you were able to see so clearly through your daughter's way of processing her grief. I think I've seen humanity through her. I don't even know if it's about processing grief. I might get choked up saying this. Even this morning, we were driving to Starbucks and she said, mom, do you remember, it's just out of nowhere, do you remember when daddy died? We were sharing a push pop popsicle. I would really like to have another one of those. And she was like, it's crazy because he had just shared it with me. And then he ran to the bathroom. And she's like, do you remember you weren't crying when daddy died? Because she said, I was crying and you didn't cry. Well, I was too scared to cry. I was screaming. I mean, mine was a fear scream. And I just kept begging him to please wake up. And so I sat in the front seat and she was in the back seat and I was crying. And then she said, oh no, mama, are you crying? And then she jumped up and she said, come here, come here, come here, come here. And she crawled over the seat and she grabbed me, you know, and she said, it's okay to cry. Daddy's in our hearts and he's in our head. Our memories are in our head. And she just loved on me for a minute. And she said, are you feeling better, mom? And I said, I am feeling better. And she's like, okay. And she crawled to the back or we'll be lying in bed and you know, she'll talk about him. And it just makes me sad that that's her reality so sometimes the emotions come up and so she was talking about him one night and how sad she was and that she missed him and then she you know rubbed her head and she said you know why you're a special mama because he loved you and then you got me and I thought oh my god just these precious moments where a six-year-old or four-year-old whatever she's been defines in me some kind of worth and value and purpose that unlike anyone else in your life 
They don't care about title or paycheck or how you look or anything like that. To them, they're so little and impressionable that you are this mecca of beauty and knowledge and emotion and everything else. And so, yeah, I think she's just shown me compassion and empathy and humanity that I've never seen before in my life. And then I look at her and I go, I made that somehow. <laughs> she's mine. And the way that you handle this whole situation, we were just talking about what, how can other people help those who are going through grief? Your six-year-old got it. When she grows up through her, her entire life, she's going to be this light, this strong pillar of support for other people. Because she's seen her mama crying. And by the way, to all the mothers out there, cry in front of your children. I mean, not yes. every morning. But yes. <laughs> but when yes. Never, cry because there is nothing more beautiful than having your daughter or your son embrace you, tell you everything is going to be okay. You cry, mama, if you need to cry. But I'm here. It just... To me, it just tells me, okay, the world is fine. And it lets them know it's safe to be so vulnerable too. So on days, I, you know, I'm hoping nothing ever happens to her, but on the days where she feels broken and unworthy, she's been the one to see me fight that fight, to fight for resources, to reclaim who I am. And so I want her to see the good, the bad, the ugly, even with the book, even with the business. There have been moments where I'm a type A perfectionist OCD. So there's definitely moments <laughs> where my emotions get the best of me as an artist. So I got a proof version of the book. The book is beautiful, but I open up this proof version and the coloring was just different because one had been printed on a quick print machine. One was on the big print machine. So it was not ugly. It was different. I don't do different. So <laughs> I open it and I was like, this is shit throw it away, burn the whole house, <laughs> burn it down. I'm quitting. I don't know what's happening, but it wasn't funny. It was devastating to me. And she let me do my thing. And then I said, let's just go to bed. I'm going to put you to bed. And we get upstairs and she goes, do you want to know what I think about the book? And I said, sure, Reagan. And she said, it is perfect. It's perfect. And she said, no one else knows that it's different. This is a six-year-old. No one else knows that it's different. It was beautiful to start with. And if it's almost perfect, it's perfect. And you've got to just be happy that you have it. And I went, oh my gosh, yes. And then I went to sleep on it. I woke up the next morning and I called a friend who had listened to me get upset too. And I flipped through it. I said, it's actually really beautiful, isn't it? And he said, yeah, crazy. Like, of course it is. We have to listen to these little creatures. We did it. Seriously, with this whole coronavirus and the long distance learning, at first I was like, oh my God, my days are going to be gone. I need to work. I need to do all these things. Like you said, now they work next to me. And whenever I have a problem, it's like my son is 12 years old. Alex, I can figure out how to turn on some program. He comes over, he helps me, I help him. It's like a different experience. They are little creatures with so much wisdom. We may not have believed it in the past, but I think that especially with the way that I see women in this generation, I think that they're rising up, they're showing these powerful different facets of us and I think that our, the next generation is just going to be so beautiful which takes me to our final questions which is so sad because I could keep talking to you forever I'm looking at your beautiful book behind my friend Fresno and I'm wondering what is your next great chapter your next great book what is it well I hope the next great chapter is that Ashley the children's book author 
really gets to dig her feet in and rock that part of my life because I am awaiting the final shipment of inventory. I was a wild woman. I'm going to do it all by myself. So the inventory is coming. I'm scheduling story time, school fundraisers, partnering with children's boutiques. I haven't even gotten started. It's just starting. So I'm really excited about that. But the ultimate reason I'm excited about it is because our children really are, like you said, they're the really special parts of our lives and our world around us. And so the book focuses on making sure that children who feel like in some way they're different, I don't care if it's religion or race or gender identity, but if you are different, Reagan comes to the table as of now at age six, her big difference is that she doesn't have her daddy and she witnessed significant trauma. There are definitely moments where she feels alone and different and sad because that's her reality. But I remind her, Reagan, just like you said, Reagan, do you know that one, you were your dad's baby, which makes you this special being, but two, do you know that what you've been through makes you so empathetic and so kind? You've been such a good friend to people. You look for the magic in people. That's special, Reagan. Everyone's gonna wanna be around that, right? And so I try to talk to her and my goal is to talk to other kids about the fact that whatever it is about you that other people might be scared of, her, the book actually starts with, I used to be afraid of monsters under my bed, but now I welcome them. I've learned that scary things are often just misunderstood. And I can't think of a better message to people, not even just kids, to people Ooh. that the things that scare us, it's not really that they're scary. It's that we don't, won't, or haven't started to understand what they are, who they are, what it is. And so my hope is that that story makes its way into a lot of people's hands and into schools so that it's a launching point for family to say, how is my child, how are you perfectly unique and wonderful because you're you, not because of anything else, just because you're you. And then when we look at the world around us, what special things do we know about people who are different? And it's just the start of a long conversation with my friend Fresno because book two and three are hopefully going to be Fresno Finds His Heart and Fresno's First Christmas. Both of those are in the works. So we are just getting started. I'm hoping that everyone joins our skeleton crew. If they want to do that, they can jump on www.myfriendfresno.com. That's where you can shop and play, or you can follow us on social media at my friend Fresno. I love it. And I'm going to put it on the show notes because I second your hope. The world needs to stop looking at other differences and different people as monsters. Let's just bring them out of the closet and have a conversation. I love your creativity. I love that. Oh my goodness. You were exposed to trauma. I remember at the beginning of our conversation, you were like, oh, you know, I want to help people with trauma. And then life said, okay, well, experience it too. So you can help people heal better. And I love that. You are such a beautiful light. My last question, Ashley, where do you see the world heading to? What is the next chapter for our beautiful world? I'm going to answer what I hope happens with our beautiful world, because what I see, I don't love all the time. Because I think what we are, what's thrust in front of us with the media and with the stories we hear because we're so removed from everybody. We hear the ugly, the bad, the sad, but I want to start seeing what really happens all around us is the humanity, is the joy, is the celebration of individuals. And I think 
right now, everything seems very, everything's divided. Politics, religion, races, genders. The reality is, is that we are not going to enjoy life at the fullest until we realize we are better together. And that everyone around us has the ability to enrich our lives without a threat to our beliefs, without a threat to who we are or to our success. But if we only surround ourselves with people like us, right? What a boring, boring, boring world. So my hope is that we just start dancing with skeletons and we start embracing those around us and make a rich, diverse kind of tapestry of faiths and gender identities and sexualities. And then we all go, you know what? At the core, we are human. And when we all start fighting for human things, right? And it doesn't always have to carry a label or a political party or anything like that. It's just the ultimate humanity. I cannot wait to join that dance. I love it, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you so much. Beautiful message, beautiful woman. I wish you all the best. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Olga. Thank you, darling. And to everybody else, aloha, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe and review my podcast because I love hearing from you. You can also follow me on Instagram at Divorce for Love and join our Facebook group in the show notes.